Welcome to Dammit Vince. Welcome to any new listeners and returning listeners. Firstly, it's been really great chatting to people on the in the community this week on, on Twitter. We've really appreciated that and got some of your um, thoughts included in today's show. So I'm Ellis. And I'm Joe. This is the second attempt at this week's episode. After the first one, we had a technical issue with it and it all got lost in the ether. So this is going to be a slightly more abridged version of it because we're having to rush this to get it out in time. So we're going to look this week at the news, basically Hell in a Cell fallout and a few thoughts on this week's show. We've both got different matches of the week, which we'll discuss. We'll look back on Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio's Halloween Havoc match from 1997 in honour of Halloween Havoc being on this week. And it's an awesome match. And a hot topic, which the community have contributed to on finishers. Hell in a Cell. I literally picked everything wrong, near enough. Nearly, apart from Sasha. You got Sasha, right? Three very, very good, very strong matches to yeah, don't really care about the ongoing story of the usos and reigns i'm genuinely sort of invested in that now it feels very organic the way they've done it and haven't rushed it through cell didn't need to be there but we've already established that that was that was the case we said that last week didn't we yeah the uh, the story they told in there was was, was beautiful really and I, li- I like the switch on the finish so last time it was jimmy coming out and throwing in the towel and jay was annoyed at him and then this time you've got jay only saying i quit because jimmy's getting hurt it was a nice little twist it adds a whole new extra level to it it was it was a very beautiful thing it was and the wild samoans was just a cherry on top of that cake there at the end. i'm impressed they let them out in the covid era they let two very old <laughs> men out <laughs> That's a good point. Roman's put in his nomination for his Oscar performance because I didn't see that them tears and that coming that he did. That was some, that was some good crying. That some onions in his pocket. Well, we're going to talk about Sasha and Bailey later, so we'll leave that one for then. The Randy and, and Drew match that was all right. They, you know, they utilised the cell, but I thought they kind of it's a bit clunky. They set up just to do that off the cell. Yeah, it was very. They didn't need to go on the roof whatsoever. And then Randy Orton pulls out his lightsaber. It was very weird and it was literally all set up, yeah, for that one big spot. Didn't really look that impressive either, in hindsight. Looking back at it, it was just falling off, essentially. Yeah, it was still high, but yeah. Oh, it was still high, but hopefully now that's that sort of over with and they can go off and do other things. Orton looks like there's some sort of fiend thing happening there. McIntyre looks like he's been set up uh, against AJ Styles, so I'm kind of happy with that. Now that, that story's been played out and done. Yeah, new feuds for them too, definitely needed. Yes. You mentioned the Fiend there, that's probably like the only thing on Raw that I really pop for. I like the, the storytelling when Alexa mentioned in the Funhouse, Randy Orton, and you get the, his face just changes, doesn't it? Bray's face with the picture of the burning house behind. And I'm like, I like that. It's the only thing that, that was any good on Raw this week. If you want to know about Retribution's booking, listen to last week's pod in the first 10 minutes, and uh, it's just rinse and repeat, basically. With the them. weekly burying of Retribution. Too much. The only other slight annoyance with Hell in a Cell was Otis losing his money in the bank to the Miz because it just proved that they didn't really have a plan for him all along. Yeah, I think he suffered with no fans because that's what got him over and now he's just a, another person and Vince is probably losing track of what got him over in the first place. I think he probably will get lost in the shuffle eventually and will end up becoming mid to lower card, which is a shame. Then we had um, Halloween Havoc, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed. Halloween Havoc, I must say. And all the matches. Pay-per-view level show. A pay-per-view level show on a Wednesday. 
I believe it did a lot better in the ratings than NXT normally do, which is understandable, which I think is yeah, why they put I, it up. I think it actually beat AEW for the... I'm not getting into the whole demographics thing of it. Oh, no, I hate all that, but yeah, yeah they, they were up on the normal. But yeah, they were well up on it, and it was it was a really good show right from the off. It was that right level for me of quality wrestling and a little bit sort of campy nonsense to it. In the cinematic match at points was genuinely scary. I was watching with my son, who's only five, and I think, you oh, know, am I going to have to turn this off? But yeah, you got I think Abaddon's it. suing someone for gimmick infringement at some point with that. But the Io Shirai <laughs> and Candice LeRae match was, for me, the standout of the entire thing because they both just went for it. The only, like, the weird rubber hands in the bag thing, that was a, a strange, a strange choice. But some of them spots they were pulling out were like, oof, that's, that's going to hurt. Yeah, I agree that the last spot, especially, uh, I winced at when she fell on that ladder. That was intentionally done like that, or she panicked or something, but it was, it looked like that proper hurt. It's a high way to fall. It is. She's a tough cookie, though, is Candice, if you look at any of her stuff she did before NXT. Hardcore blood matches and death matches and all sorts, so it's probably <laughs> nothing to her, that, to be honest. Bring it back year on year, let Shotzi Blackheart run the show. I'll gladly watch she was the living bejesus out of that year in, year out. I agree. Any any takeaways on Dynamite this week? That was again setting up for. Full I was game. wrong once again. Kenny Omega is apparently going full heel with from the entrance alone to his trash talking in the ring, which I very much loved because he is you know the greatest, probably one of the greatest in the world right now. And hopefully at full gear, his and Adam Page's uh, is going to be an absolute banger. It's a shame that they haven't got a full audience for it, but I believe that's probably going to be the match of that pay-per-view. Because when they both go, they're both going. Yeah, I agree. And the other thing is the Young Bucks have said that they're never going to... If they lose at full gear to FTR, they are never going to go for the tag belts again, which smacks a little bit of Cody, the world championship. Or if they get in their second show, which apparently they're supposed to be getting either the end of this year or the start of next year, although it's nearly the end of this year now. So the start of next year, are they going to introduce a second tag belt like the SmackDown and Raw tag belts? No, it doesn't need it. I hope not. As we've said before, they should just unify the tag belts on WWE. Yeah, WWE, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I think now Young Bucks will probably end up winning because they're out of the tag picture. It's just, as you said, smacks a Cody and then just shooting themselves in the foot. It seems silly, but it's wrestling. Let's throw in one last one that we can do because this is now recording the day after. The NXT UK match for the NXT UK title, which has been long awaited because of COVID and they had to actually stop recording. It was an awesome match and it is one that you should go and check out if you've not seen it. It's between Walter and Dragunov and it is very, very, very physical. I would expect nothing less from Walter, to be honest. I've not had a chance to watch it yet, but uh, it is on my list. Give it a watch. You've got Dragunov like suplexing the hell out of Walter. He's like 300 pounds plus and it's a, yeah, it's a brutal match and it was good. It's good to see the, the UK scene going there as well. And obviously Pete Dunne is back over in NXT, which I popped that when he came out which in Halloween nice. Havoc. Because, if he's allowed to fly out, could we have a surprise appearance at full gear? That was that was my second thought after going, it's Pete Dunne! Pack and I was like, can come Pack, back. Pack yes, can appear on full gear. He is sorely, sorely missed. On to match of the week now. Joe, you've got a, a bit of a different one, I would say, for, for match of the week, but I like it. Something of a controversial choice here. From AW Dark, the final of the Brandon Cutler versus Peter the Librarian Avalon feud that has been brewing for near enough a year. Both of them waiting to pick up a win. I think they were 22-0 and 
and it's just brewed and brewed and brewed and it's been nice and you've they've formed a tag team that didn't really work out and then they had two matches before where they were both counted out and then both disqualified i think and this was a technically a very good match but also b some good storytelling in there hopefully now leva bates can go off and do some things on her own because she's sort of wasted with the library hopefully peter avalon will drop that gimmick and do something else the I mean, it was on, I think it was on Reddit, I think it was on the front page of Reddit and everything, this uh, this image of Peter Avalon being slammed into a load of polyhedral Dungeons & Dragons dice. I saw that picture and I was a bit confused. Yeah, they hurt. It's like standing on Lego, but all over your back, especially D4s, because they're tiny little caltropy pyramids. But it was a solid bout, grapples, high spots, brass knuckles, all this sort of nonsense. But it's finished that off, and it has been a sort of long-term storytelling. It's just a shame that it was on Dark, which no one sees. Yeah, this has not got the time to watch all the wrestling, so Dark kind of... When I came to kind of watch it, I was looking at the matches and going, there's like 40 matches on the card here, this is crazy, and they're just squashies, so I, I just bypass it and just see the results. I watched the odd one when you said one's good, but it's quite nice to hear that they've actually got a like a story that has been going on in Dark, and you've got to pay off this week, and a bit of a different match that isn't a squash, no DQ, as you say, so it's a shame it wasn't on Dynamite, as you say. It could have been the buy-in for Full Gear. And I, it would have been a nice thing for them to actually get some proper screen time as opposed to just being in the crowd or the friend of the Young Bucks that yeah. Brandon Cutler always gets uh, lumbered with. I would recommend going and watching it because some lovely, lovely stuff in there and also painful. Yeah, landing on D4s doesn't sound <laughs> my idea of fun. My match of the week was uh, locked in about 2am on, on Sunday night, Monday morning here in the UK, which was uh, Sasha Banks versus Bailey at Hell in a Cell. This was a match for me that warranted the Hell in a Cell just because of the long-standing story they've had since TakeOver. I thought it was it was a brutal match. The fact that last week when the, the three of us were making our predictions, we all really didn't know where it was going to go. And I think that's kind of good for a match. Like you, you don't know who's going to win. So immediately you invested watching it. But yeah, I thought it was a great match. There was throwbacks to the start of the rivalry with the chair, which obviously Bailey used to attack Sasha. But there was also an amazing throwback to their takeover match at Brooklyn. And in that match, Bailey's got an injured wrist and she gets locked in the bank statement, reaching for the ropes, and Sasha starts hammering on her on her hand with her foot so she can't reach. And it's like a horrible heel move that Sasha's doing. But then in this match, Bailey has the chair around her neck while she's in the bank statement and Sasha is hammering down on the chair, which forces a submission which was a throwback to the start of the rivalry, but also a throwback to that match at Brooklyn, which was a nice little treat for people who have followed that story for so long. And I just thought it was a it was an outstanding match. I tweeted out after it, Bank has got the it factor, whatever that is. She can sell t- terrifyingly well. Like, literally, you think she's killed herself at times. Alarmingly well, yeah. That sunset flip into the chair, I was like, I think she's probably unconscious. Nope. Just good selling. Yeah, and there's another one later on when her legs just ended up in her body. She, she, I think. Oh, I'd... off the ladder. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that's it. The whole point. It's not about making you look good. It's making other people look good, and she can do that. Yeah. I said, if it wasn't, there's no point in us both picking the same match. But it would have been. It would have been mine as well because it was a good use of a Hell in a Cell. They went round the full thing. It was terrifyingly brutal, and it was. It finishes. Does it finish that off? Or will there be more? I reckon there'll end up being more, but we'll see. We'll see after SmackDown this weekend. Yeah, it was good. I mean, uh, Alex McCarthy mentioned on his show this week that he thinks regardless of brand, regardless of gender, she's in the top five sellers in the world of wrestling to him. And I would be inclined to agree. That 100% agree, yeah. Absolutely. 
I mean, so I think she can get a, a reputation for being dangerous or looking like she is being dangerous. But the more I think of it now, I think it's just how good she is on her selling. Especially since she's come back after a little break. Her selling is so good that you think, oh, that, that didn't go right or whatever. Yeah. But I thought it was superb. And the little things, you mentioned it in our first recording last night. Little things that they do well in that, you know, Banks is known for swatting the gold. And there's a whole minute after the match where the ref's holding the belt next to her and she just ignores it and she's just staring at Bailey and kind of processing what's just happened. And there's a point mid-match that the commentators sell as well where she kind of looks like she's about to cry because she realises she's fighting who she thought was her best friend and she's only 28. Those little subtle things like that that make it all the more believable and all the more sort of heartfelt and, and legitimate, even though we know wrestling to be predetermined. It's still excellent, excellent storytelling and I would probably say that's going to go into the contenders for match of the year, to be honest, because it was just, it was the highlight of the pay-per-view and it's the best um, Hell in a Cell match I've seen in a very long time. I fully agree. As I said, it used the cell well. Quick shout out, like Butcher can't be here tonight, but his match of the week, he'd gone for Hot Sauce Tracy Williams versus Jay Lethal, which was the Block A and Block B finals and Ring of Honor. I'm just bringing it up because last week he, he mentioned the pure tournament that they were doing and we both hadn't watched it and we have both gone away and watched it and I've really enjoyed it from what I've seen and I enjoyed this match tremendously as well. Both of those Block A and Block B finals were good matches. I'm 100% on board with this this Ring of Honor pure, pure system because... It's the only one that sort of works without an audience because it's not required. You're watching technical wrestling. You're not waiting for spots. So you don't need a crowd there. Three breaks in the ropes rule, which adds a certain amount of sort of skill and tact to it as well. But that Block B final is is well worth watching. I mean, Ring of Honor, I'm um, it's on my list now of things to watch every week because they're only short episodes. Yeah, which is lovely. And I, I loved the, the rope break stipulation and how it played into the matches as well. I thought it was really nice. It's different. It's different. As, as Butcher said last week, it gives a sports feel to it, which you don't normally get. So go and check that one out if you are able to. As you say, it's only like 45 minutes once you take the ads out, which is very palatable. And if you watch it on Fight, they took the adverts out this week, which I was very disappointed because I was promised bad American adverts and there was none. <laughs> I was looking forward to that. <laughs> the bad American adverts. None of them. No. I'm gonna. I think I might start watching Impact after what's happened this week as well, with someone being shot. I may have to get into it because it sounds it sounds right in my wheelhouse of ludicrous nonsense. Yeah, I, I, I want to go back and watch that as well. Um, let us know what it's like. On to the classic match retrospective, which we're doing because Halloween Havoc was on with NXT, but in its own right. It's an outstanding match between Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio in 1997, which I believe was, was for Eddie's Cruiserweight title. It was mask versus title. So it's for Rey, Rey Mysterio's one. mask, which he had only recently acquired because he was he was then thought to be worthy to wear the mask versus uh, yeah Eddie's, Eddie's Cruiserweight title. And it's straight from the... I mean, it's that iconic Rey Mysterio purple and black uh, jumpsuit, bodysuit thing with his, with the mask sewn onto it so it couldn't be taken off and straight from the go it's an absolute humdinger of a match it's it's only shots for about 14 minutes but it packs in so much nothing is wasted in there this was eddie during his his, his i mean he was always better as a heel than a face but he really leans into it he doesn't relent for the entire match he's just constant and any little breaks that mysterio gets are quickly shut down it's a fantastic piece of that high-flying luchador star wrestling, which I don't think WCW at the time were that bothered. Well, they never were bothered with it. It was, it was, it was all, all the big lads, 
all the, the people they've managed to poach from WWE in one big, long, big, big faction, just spray painting each other every week from what I remember. And the crowd are really into this match as well. Again, I don't think they, they, they were A, expecting it from such... I mean, Rey Mysterio's tiny as well. I mean, Eddie Guerrero wasn't massive. The stuff they're doing in there is way ahead of the time. And like you said, with the Land of the Giants, where it's just two big lads suplexing each other, you've got over the ropes, you've got hurricanes, and you've got all this stuff that I don't think... I mean, it's, it's standard now. It's everyone's standard moveset sort of thing. Back then, this was mind-blowing. And even though... Eddie is a heel in it, and they're chanting Eddie sucks all the way through it. Every time he does something, people are losing their mind over it. I watched it back, and I don't get bored watching it back. It's just like watching a, a whole match that's a highlight reel, basically. <laughs> but what I like is what I like is that there's a storytelling in it. It's not just because sometimes you watch these matches, and as Matt Hardy would say, it's spot monkeys, and they just build into the spot. But there's story in it, and it's it's powerful. It's, it's it's a really good match. I mean, we, we are a bit of a spoiler for a couple of weeks. We're going to be doing a little special on Eddie Guerrero in a couple of weeks. Kind of in honour of him, really, because it's 15 years since he's passing in a couple of weeks. And I mentioned to it, I mentioned about it to someone on social media, uh, Matt Dawson, and he said, oh man, my, my favourite match of all time is Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio. And I was like, oh, guess what our match of the week is? Uh, retrospective match that we're looking at this week is. And he's like, no way, it's an amazing match. And just shows you. Anyone you talk to and they mention that match, they Your eyes light up and you go, yes, it's on YouTube. Go and watch it. It's free. It's 15 minutes of your life and you'll be like, wow. The fact that so many people honour the gear, you mentioned the purple gear. I said it's sort of become iconic from that match. It is, yeah. Seth Rollins at uh, SummerSlam doing it as great heel work against Dominic Mysterio, but he was saying he was honouring it. Uh, Escobar, I think it was, on Halloween Havoc War. A variation and had his face painted and um, Dominic Mysterio I saw after we'd recorded last night he tweeted out during it a picture of the actual gear oh that's nice yeah yeah he, he just put hashtag Halloween Havoc and it was a picture of the original gear as ah the hot topic for this week is very hot indeed lots of discussion around this and it is about finishers firstly I'd just like to say as well a, a thank you to Alex McCarthy who kind of quote tweeted our tweet that we'd put out asking about what you think the best finishes are worst finishes and false finishes and it's been really nice chatting to people on twitter about that so we'll include some of your comments in this section so we're going best or worst first let's start with the worst in it let's do the worst yeah. ones first get the negative get the negative one out there so what's your See, worst I finish was torn between three of these ultimate warriors ultimate slam because he's a big lad he gets no height on it he just falls on you it's rubbish I'm your one, which I won't ruin, but I'm going to go for the Great Khali's brain chop because, again, Great Khali was never a wrestler. He was just a big lad, and his finishing move was just punching you in the head, which he had hands the size of spades. But I expected something more. I expected something better from it. Anyone could do that. The Big Show did a similar thing, I believe. Like the big KO, KO punch. And it's sort of similar to Lacey Evans's women's right. It's just hitting someone in the face. You do that a hundred times in a match. It's garbage. Yeah, I agree. It's not. It's not a great one. Uh, someone on our comments who's been been chatting quite a bit uh, at it's unfiltered pointed out one that I completely forgot about. It's Brodus Clay's Ah Funkit, I think it was called, where he just runs off the ropes and just does like a diving, a very soft diving crossbody. I 
on the opponent. Don't remember that one. I'll have to look that up. It's on the Twitter. Yeah, he just is literally. It's a very, very soft bounce off the ropes, and he does a gentle jump into you and just lands on you, and that's it. But the, the person's in midair, so it's a crossbody basically, Ooh. and uh, it's 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 just weak. that sounds stinky. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and he, he also mentioned which butcher today has been mentioning because he's been putting forward his best and worst, the uh, the rear view from Naomi. Just just jump jumping in the face with a bum. Was that a finisher? I thought that, but then a few people have said it now, so it, it must have been, and then she's she's gone away and updated it, and it's now just part of a moveset rather than a finisher. I think it might have been when, when it was the Funkodactyls, but I don't think she uses it yeah, as a finisher anymore. No. But yeah, w- it is reason. bad. It is. It's gimmicky, which is fine. In my finishers, I want it to look like it hurts. I want it to be impactful and something that would, you know, make you be easy to pin. Someone running into, running into someone's bottom. No. Uh, Caulfield, he's called in the community, said that the rock bottom was actually his least favourite move. For the same reason of what you just said, he, he just thought it was a move with a lack of intensity. He said it was just, it just looks like a basic move. And I could kind of buy it. I liked it growing up, but I could see what he meant. And he said, you know, at least with the Stone Cold Stunner, which he voted as his favourite, he said, at least when you look at that, you go, God, if that isn't done right, you're going to lose some teeth. You're going to hurt yourself. Whereas the rock bottom, he just thought was a bit... I can see that. Yeah. It's it's all about taking it, really, isn't it? It's all in the cell with that. The cell, yeah. I mean, there's there's a few moves, that are like the worm, just a very dramatised chop. Fans loved it. Just a chop. The Cobra Strike from Santino, a bit comic, comical. And um, moving on to a, a link to what will then be my worst is John, John Cena, when he built up his sixth move of doom after working with Jackie Chan, I believe, on a film. And he came back and just did a lightning fist. That was so underwhelming. <laughs> so underwhelming. John Cena's career, as far as I'm concerned, just underwhelming. <laughs> Apart from Firefly Funhouse. So, talking of doom... <laughs> Uh, leading that leads me into my my worst finisher, which is also the joint top from Community Votes as well, along with Ozone. So the the Ozone was a Randy move that the, original, got two yeah, votes yeah. in the community. Yeah, which I think MVP then took and adapted. Renamed yeah, it as something else, but yeah, it's it takes too long to set up. Doesn't look like it hurts. Doesn't make any sense. No, and he doesn't do it anymore, which tells you all you need to know. So mine is the uh, Hulk Hogan's. Atomic leg drop, and when he went to WCW, they they then renamed it, I believe, the leg drop of, of Doom. Doom. Yeah, knowing that it was basically just a half-ass leg drop, and so, someone on on socials, Matt Dawson, made a good point of, and I'll read his quote. He said, "The brother talks about 5,000-inch pythons, then does zero with them, and just uses a weak-ass leg drop. His finisher could have been a bear hug or any kind of slam, and it's true." He's always big enough and showing Come the on. muscles. Yeah. So why is it? <laughs> why isn't that part of his finisher? Because it's, it's just awful. It's. I mean, it got people off the seats, which is what your finisher is supposed to do. It's supposed to instill that sort of joy and ooh, I'm seeing it. But yeah, it's just a bad leg drop. It's not even a good. There's just, there's nothing to it. There's no sort of showmanship or anything. It's just an old man falling on you. I think we both were going to kind of go for that one as well, weren't we? I so hate we, it. I really do. And yeah. it's that thing. I mean, I don't particularly care for Hogan at the best of times. I, I never understood why he was so popular. On finishers, and not necessarily worst finishers, but things that I don't like in a finisher, like the ones that take a while to get going. So, again, it's a suspension of disbelief. And when I when I tweeted out asking people to comment on this, I'd put about, I put a gif of the Sister Abigail which in itself is a move I like, and it is a gif of Rey Mysterio absolutely selling it, 
beautifully and Bray comes from out of nowhere, catches him, hits him with it. Amazing. But I don't like this Astravagero when it's, he grabs them and they're not necessarily out of it. They're still, you know, in fighting mode in the match and they just lie there for him while he kisses the head, looks at them and then hits it. And there's like a, a few five second gap possibly between him getting them and doing it. And it just, you wouldn't lie there for that. When he hits it straight away, incredible it's move. the same thing with anything on the shoulders. Unless you are absolutely out cold. You're not going to let someone pick you up and throw you around. So all F5s, the attitude adjustment, I mean, to an extent, I, I do like the go to sleep. Finishers have to be able to be busted out from anywhere. It's not supposed to be a big, long setup. That's why, for my, my best one, there's nothing off the top rope. Not in normal, in the tag team division there is. Because, yeah, it is, because tag team wrestling's a bit goofy like that. But it should be stuff that you can bust out from anywhere, looks devastating and impactful, and gives you that impression that, Christ, that person could probably be really hurt from it. I mean, I mean, if the person who's taking it uh, kind of acknowledges that this isn't, they should fight out of it. One when Daniel Bryan was on the shoulders of someone, I, I want to say the New Day in a tag match when he was a heel, and he's wiggling, wiggling for his life trying to get out of it, and he gets hit with it. And I'm like, okay, that's different. And I think that's when it kind of stood out to me why the shoulder moves are just are not very good because I was like well why don't more people do that but kind of shows you how good Daniel Bryan is because he understands the the mechanics and the nuances of it but yeah I agree on that uh, the butcher submitted so just so you know when you're listening um, after this has gone out we're going to put a vote on Twitter of our me you and butchers best and worst nominations and also the top voted ones from the community and just see what people think uh, butcher's worst one was the Samoan spike That's the one that he ended up going for. Yeah, that. I also have a problem with nerve holds and, like, uh, what do they call them? Pressure point things. Because the mandible claw, yeah, he's got his hand in your mouth. Just bite him or hit him with your arms or kick him. I imagine there are possibly manoeuvres that you can paralyse someone with one hit, like you've missed the Spock. So moving on to the bests, then. So you've already said it's something that needs to be hit out of nowhere and one that jumps to mind there, which the community voted as their best, probably no surprise, was the, the RKO. Yeah, understandable. Understandable. Just behind um, it was the Stone Cold Stunner. Again, can be hit out of anywhere. Looks impactful. There's another one that was highly voted, but I'm going to mention that later on. But yeah, they were the most voted for from singles. Uh, the only one that got two votes, which was one that was, was going to be mine, which was the Eclipse from Ember Moon. And the reason I ended up not choosing it is it's aesthetically incredible, athletically incredible. But as you said before, it takes a bit of setup and that kind of detracts from it. You have to have that person in the corner and stood there long enough for you to get up and jump off. It is a beautiful, beautiful, you know, it is possibly up there in my all-time favourites finishes because it it looks amazing when when hit properly and sold correctly. It looks brutal. But things off the top rope, eh. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with that. Apart from the swanton bomb. I love the swanton bomb. But again, you can believe that because they're down. They're, they're laying, they're lying down, so that's a, a different. And he doesn't take ages climbing up. And the um, what's it called? Neville's one. Black, black, black. the black arrow. Black now, arrow, yeah. What's the red arrow? Yeah, black arrow. You know, at least they're down, and that's a feat of physics defying. For such a big, big, beefy boy, being able to spin round like that is is ungodly in a lot of ways. My best singles finisher is Alistair Black's Black Mass, for all the reasons that I've given before. It can be busted out from anywhere it looks like it could take your head off 
apart from when it, it's a clear sort of foot away from your head, but we won't talk about that. And it's it's a game changer. It looks like it could literally knock your head off your shoulders if taken incorrectly. Yeah, so he doesn't hold back when he's doing it. And that's what you want in a finisher. And it can also have a bit of, like some, a couple of people on uh, Twitter are saying, like, moves that you can build up. So, like, the RKO when he's banging on the floor and there's a build-up, sweet chin music, music stomping. Yeah. And I hadn't really thought of it, but Black does kind of do that when he when he lifts them up with his foot. Like, they're so out of it and he just lifts them up and you know what's coming at the end of it. As soon as he's picked them up, spin, KO, and you're gone. It's a good point, actually, yeah. I'll add that to my list of, of things that make finishes good. You can bust it out from anywhere, but also you can give it a little bit little bit of a juice and a little bit of a setup to it, which makes it all yeah. all the nicer. Which gets the crowd gets the crowd involved in that. I must say when I was looking at moves, because one that I nearly went for was the pedigree, because I just loved that growing up. I think I even tried when I used to fake wrestle with my friend, <laughs> friends as a kid. I think I remember hitting the pedigree on a kid, and I was like, oh yeah, I shouldn't do that anymore. But the yeah, I just love that move, and I was looking back at old clips of that, and I miss I miss flash balls, man. Like, like the arena would just like light up like when the rock was about to drop the elbow or when the stunner was being hit when you knew it was day. coming the whole place would yeah it would come to like a sort of weird slowdown of time as the whole thing just erupted in flash bulbs it was yeah i mean yeah. i miss crowds to be honest you know what i mean um... <laughs> yeah <I'd> take crowds but <laughs> true the so yeah the pedigree was going to be one one for me i like i like it it's also and I'll put a gif out on, on our socials when you post this. Of a, It's got one of my favourite counters in it when Seth counters Roman Reigns Spear into a pedigree. And yeah. the pedigree, until that point, I'd never considered the pedigree as a, a move you counter into. But the way Seth did it and Roman did his part as well because he had to dive in a certain way and, and, and take it. It was, it, was, it was a work of art. But talking of Seth Rollins, I've actually gone for the, the curb stomp on the basis that it is legitimately... Dangerous, yeah, yeah. And I was chatting to someone on Twitter, uh, that Blind Lads podcast, and they'd they'd asked a question of, if you were untrained, what move would you not want to take? Now, I, I, Black Mass is one I hadn't thought of, but I wouldn't want to take that. But I said the curb stomp, because especially when your head's close to the mat, I've seen some that look a bit crap when they're basically halfway up, they're like like a meter away from the ground, and it's like, mm. but when the when the face is inches away yeah that's um and and it was banned vince banned oh, yeah, it yeah, yeah, for a long because time. It, he thought it was too dangerous and the reason i ended up going for it was i remember that bra when he brought it back he was in a match that finn balor was in and finn got tripped up by somebody on the outside and was on his knees seth kind of pauses looks around and then he hits it and i popped i remember watching that raw and a lot of people on the internet was like yes he's got it back because it gave him his identity it was a unique move it was to him it was he was doing the pedigree and he tried doing this ripcord knee and it, none of it just hit that was brilliant so that's what i've that's what i've gone for things to uh, the head yeah yeah I think that's the, the um... that's the dangerous bit isn't it it's like yeah. um the punt I wouldn't be taking that. I mean, it, it normally doesn't go anywhere near your head anyway. No, but... that, that was another band move as well. He concussed Vince of it, didn't he, back in the... Alleged, well, <laughs> accidentally. years ago. Butcher's favourite finish. He, he went through quite a few, and then he decided <laughs> he decided on the Jake Roberts original DDT. As his yeah, that's, a, that's a brutal piece of work as well, isn't it? So, leads us on to the idea of false finishes and when i put this out a few people commented back 
And what was interesting is friends of mine, like I started watching in the Attitude Era, so my friends from school, similar age, those people were kind of a bit befuddled why I was asking the question of false finishes, because they were like, well, it only happens in extreme circumstances with the legends, and you've got to be something special to kick out of a tombstone or a pedigree or what have you. And I was like, no, no, they, they pretty much happen all the time now oh, on, on any main fools. event. Yeah. And then someone who still watches it, he was just like, oh, does my head in. And I, I look back at the Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano, and the other like a, three different matches over the course of the year for the NXT title. And in, in one of them, the last shot is hit twice. Gargano kicks out of both. He's then hit with the Undisputed Era's tag team finish. He kicks out of that. And it just devalues the moves, man, for yeah, me. It cheapens it right down. It used to be like same thing. They should be impactful. They should be, that's it, full stop. Unless it's a very, very rare occasion. Undertaker, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, referee, uh, was it Mania? Mania 2012. And um, at I Am Jack Booth mentioned this, that he thought it was the best false finish that he has seen. Because it's believable. Whereas if you're just popping them out left, right and centre, it, like I said, it devalues the whole thing. It makes them worthless. They may, you may as well. Just keep hitting them with scoop slams or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's supposed to be your your finisher, your your little bit of artistry yeah. in it. And to not have that, and to be so easy to be kicked out of, it's not. They're not finishers. They're just another move in your arsenal. And I think it wasn't until I was doing research on this I was thinking finishers are overused, which might seem a bit weird because you think that most matches should end on a finisher. But if you think back to the Undertaker, he had the choke slam, he had the tombstone. And then he brought out the last ride. He had he had multiple and Hell's Gate as well submission maneuver. He had oh god yeah he, he had four four different moves to win the match with the tombstone being the ultimate. And I think more matches people should win off signatures if you like that other moves that look awesome but aren't there. I have to hit this one because I can't I can't win this match. And I think that would make things a bit more special because the finishers aren't being used every single match. When they're being used, they're being used for a reason. And then also when they're kicked out of you, like, yeah, okay, this this person is legitimately good to do it, but they are overused. Oh, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. It's one of those things. I never I forgot all about that. Yeah, Taker having having four finishers. That's it, but you, you don't think about it. He has been doing it for 35 years, you know what I mean? It is. Different ways to win the match, because there's a lot of people who have moves and you're like, that should win a match. For example, Sami Zayn's uh, Blue Thunderbomb. Like, brilliant, impactful. And every time he hits it, and this is what bugs me, every time he hits it, like the commentator's like, this is going to be it. But you know it's not it, because no one ever We're comes to it. But, yeah. but they, they should. Seth Rollins does that one when he when he suplexes them off the top rope. He like literally jumps on the top rope like a cat from nowhere, suplexes them, rolls over into, uh, I can't remember what it's called, when he, he lifts them up and then power bombs them down, basically. And that's, that's, a, that's like the blue... Thunderbomb, it's, it gets sold well. This commentator's like, this is going to end the match, and it doesn't. And I remember one match, and he won on, off it, and it was like the first time he'd won off it, and everyone was like, oh, wow. But it, it kind of made you think, oh, right, he can win off that. And I think they should do things like that more where people win off other moves, because then it, it makes the finisher more special, and it, and it kind of makes the matches less predictable, because you'd know a lot of matches, unless it's the most devastating move, the, uh, the roll-up. <laughs> <laughs> Simon Miller, if you've ever watched Simon Miller on What Culture, he hates the roll-up, and he's uh, he says it's the most devastating move in all of sports entertainment is the roll-up. <laughs> it's true. Was it Orange Cassidy? I remember on, on a Dynamite when he, he pulled out like a like a, a finisher pin, 
That's, that's brilliant. It's oh, it's like the oh, what's it? It's like the mouse roll up or something. It's it is something that he's added or he's 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 just started using using recently. It doesn't do it all the time, but it it worked, and I was like, oh, great! That's another way to win a match. Well, it's I mean, Darby Allen has the coffin drop, but he also has uh, it's the Last Supper, which is that weird submission maneuver thing. Yeah. So I guess it is there because he very rarely uses. Well, he's not wrestled properly in ages, but I guess it is there. If you have more than one, you have a, you have a submission finisher. You have like a top rope finisher and stuff like that. But yeah, don't don't keep doing false finishes. Boring. It's boring. Yeah, it is. I've put a few that were that were good. You've already mentioned one: Triple H and Taker at Mania, which for those who haven't seen it, it's basically Michael Sweetchin's music's him from the corner. Michael's is the referee. Taker stumbles around straight into the pedigree, and then I think Shawn Michaels does a pretty fast it's count. A very as well. fast count. Yeah. And he and he kicks out, and that was, I think, the moment when people thought the streak was over. And all three competitors have said that that's why they did it because they knew what the crowd would feel like. It is. I think that will probably end up doing that as a uh, as a as a classic match at some point because yeah. it is an excellent match, but also some very very good storytelling and feeding and playing with the crowd a little bit. Yeah, I mean, all the all the emotions after that kick out kind of sells it again, and. I hadn't thought of this until like literally just now. It surprises me that how much NXT overuse finishers when they're being run by two of the people in that match. Yeah. Triple H and Shawn yeah, Michaels, yeah, yeah. who who understood that that false finish was going to make a huge impact on the crowd, but then they're doing it. And I I've mentioned Takeover a couple of times. It's not just um, AEW do it AEW a lot as well. There, lot. And, yeah. And so yeah, that was one. Uh, three of three. I mean, I put down four, and three of them include Undertaker as well, which, <laughs> at WrestleMania, which kind of tells you what you need to know. So I had Taker and I, um, Randy Orton had a little rivalry on and WrestleMania 21. The Undertaker is about to hit the chokeslam on Randy Orton, who's quite young at this point, and he counters it into the RKO, which is... I'd never seen it before until this week because there's a documentary on the network about that rivalry that they had. And again, they're talking about that counter being a unique counter because the chokeslam wasn't something that was countered and I think that is part of what makes the RKO great because again my favourite counter ever is the curb stomp that gets basically thrown up into the air by Orton's neck and then he RKO's him which is incredible very high jump that (laughs) yeah anyway on this one he hits the RKO which is over at this point as a a powerful move and Taker kicks out and you might go shouldn't kick out the RKO but because it's such a desperation thing that he does, because he's about to be choke slammed, there's no other way out of it for him. He's slow to cover, like he hits it, and then he has to crawl over. The count is also slow, so that's where a false finish doesn't devalue the move as much. Because you're like, well, it's took time to get into the the pinning position. The referee, for whatever reason, is doing a slow count. So yeah, that was another one that I thought was good, and also Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker at Mania 25. Uh, they, it gets out of a tombstone, but I think you mentioned yesterday there was quite a lot of finishes on this. So. There is a lot of finishes, but that is with that one I didn't mind it so much because it's such a slugfest. It is such a yeah. brutal, brutal match that, and it's it's it was years and years and years in the making, and it it feels like each one of those kickouts from the finisher feels like it's took all their effort to do it. So I don't mind it so much with that one because it is it, it, it added it to feel, it. In that yeah, one. it feels epic it feels two heroic figures going hell for leather at each other giving it everything that they've got whereas nxt aw on a wednesday it doesn't i understand it for big main events it's fine 
Well, these three I've just said have all been WrestleManias, which is like, okay. Throw in, I, I forgot to mention this yesterday. I, when when I was watching Hell in a Cell, I don't think this is deliberate because no one's mentioned it, but in that Michael's Taker match, there's the whole light and dark build in it where they're playing on the religion of Michael. Yes. And he comes out and he's all in white. As a sort of Christ-like and, figure, yes. Yeah, and he's all in white and Taker's all in black and it's quite a striking visual. There was a point when I was watching Bailey and Sasha and Sasha's all in white, which is unusual for her, and Bailey's all in black. And I... I was looking at it, I was like, well, straight away I actually clicked back to this match and I was trying to look at it, I was like, is there any sort of throwback on this or is it just a coincidence but something that struck me? It wouldn't surprise me if it was done intentionally. I mean, yeah. it's the classic bad guy in black, good guy in white as well. You don't you don't see it so often. It's just, yeah, just a thought I had when I was watching that. The, um, the final one, which isn't at Mania, and um, this is, I think we'll do a, a special on cash-ins when it comes to money in the bank, but Dolph Ziggler, of all people, uh, cashed in his money in the bank on the Raw After Mania in 2013. Now, this is actually Butcher's favourite cash-in ever, because at this point, Dolph Ziggler is he's very, very over. He's got AJ Lee with him. He's got, I believe he's got Big E with him as well, as like a henchman. And he's got this reputation of being the nearly guy. He doesn't quite get the job done, and he always fails. And he had the money in the bank, and... Del Rio's knackered after a match, as they normally are in a Money in the Bank match. Out comes Dolph. Now, normally what would happen here is on move, pin, over. That's, That's you know, generally how, how it works. Money in the Bank normally works, yeah. But they end up having a two or three minute match with this. And it and you think Dolph is about to blow it again. Because there's a bit when Del Rio kind of gets a bit of energy. He does his like, kick in the corner and then goes into a cross arm breaker in the centre of the ring. And you think Dolph's... Dolph's going to tap. Oh, he, he's he's going to lose this. And he doesn't because he takes advantage of the fact that Del Rio's leg has been hurt in the match previous. And then he hits a zigzag and wins. But it's really well done. And that, to me, was a good use of a false finish. Because you could buy it as well. Because Del Rio is knackered. He's literally doing whatever he can with the last strains of his energy. That his submission, he can't put it in like he normally would. Because his leg can't lock the arm down as well. And that gets taken advantage of. And I've just thought that was a good one that maybe people don't talk about. I think, the finish, it's, I think it was good. with follow finishes, it, it comes down to storytelling. It's, if there's a justified reason for them being able to kick out of it, I have no problem with it. It's when it's done for no yeah, reason. Mate. It devalues the whole thing. So that would lead me on to like, something that I think is important with finishers is protected finishers. So what, what kind of finishers do you think, not just in WWE, but obviously most of them are from there, but that you think are protected, that are rarely kicked out of? What were the ones you would go for? I would say the most protected is probably the RKO, surely. I thought that, but there's a lot of contradicting reports out there, and the, the biggest number I could find was 11 people have kicked out of the RKO, Okay. including Undertaker, John Cena... Daniel Bryan, Mark Henry, Kane, Roman Reigns, Batista, Seth Rollins, Big Show. But, God, how long's he been going? How long's he been doing this move? I mean, it's got a long lifespan. Yeah, that's the thing with but it. But actually, maybe that isn't as many people. Um, what about, say, Razor's Edge? Yeah, I think that was... Razor Ramon, I think that was protected incredibly that protected. Um, the Atomic Leg Drop. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to look at that move anymore. I Again, watch one gif of it. You've got um, apparently one of the most. No, oh god, I know. One of the most protected is uh, Kenny Omega's One Winged Angel. Spanning back to New Japan as well. It's uh, a very protected really? finisher, apparently, in the wrestling world. 
and talking on AEW, the Judas Effect, which Jericho brought in as his, his distinctive AEW finisher. And I believe, I don't know who it was, there was somebody on the roster who did a move quite similar. And he asked them politely, he said, would you mind not doing that move because I'm trying to put over the Judas Effect as this deadly finisher. So can't be having you do the same thing and someone kicks out of it. And, you know, I went for the, the curb stomp before. That is a very protected finisher. There's only, looking at the research, the most recent one, there was only like four people, John Cena, Brock Lesnar, Randy Orton, and Ambrose. And I've just realized another one, which for me could have killed it, actually, was The Fiend. We kicked out of it about 20 times or something, didn't yes. it? Which really peed me off because I love that move. But ignoring that match, it's a very protected finisher. And also, you sort of understand it with The Fiend. It's the same thing with the Undertaker. Yeah, yeah, it's like they're true. supposed to be this otherworldly, ethereal, immune to pain sort of thing. So I can sort of allow it with that. But yeah, when he took loads of them, it was like this is this is nonsense. Yeah, and there's there's one more. So it is currently a finisher in WWE that apparently no one has kicked out of after receiving it straight away, and it was voted second as the best finishers, joint with the Stone Cold Stunner including by uh, Alex McCarthy. He chose this as his favourite finisher. Any ideas what I'm it is? I'm trying to think. Um... No, go on, you'll have to tell me. Baron Corbin's End of Days. Oh, I do like that, actually. It is a good... Absolutely cool-looking, but impactful finisher, which can be hit out of can nowhere out again. Can be out of nowhere, can be countered into... It's Yeah, I forgot all about well, I'm that. Gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll put the gif of the Chad Gable... I mean, we were praising Phoenix and Pentagon last week for their counter finish. If you've never seen Chad Gable, I don't know what movie he's trying to hit, but it gets counted into the end of days. It's it's a, it's unbelievable. So you don't know what you spins around, loads, doesn't it? Yeah. It spins around him, but that it's at least like with the Phoenix and Pentagon one, it, it was kind of a bit more natural once he kind of got up there to then hit the Canadian destroyer. But <laughs> so I was shouting a lot last Catch week. Phrases. But with this one. Yeah, with this one, Chad Gable spinning around, but the strength that Baron Corbin then has to have to literally stop him dead for a second for the start of the end of days before then hitting it, he has to stop his whole momentum and then bring him back the other way. And like, he's he's a better technician. My friend Paul said he's not he doesn't get the credit that he should get as a, the technician because he's a big guy and. I think because of his character and his charisma at times doesn't always come across. But it's a it's a good finisher. And when I was reading about it, he said they were messing around in, in NXT with the pads. The mats were just out and they were just hitting all sorts of different moves. And this is how he came up with the end of days because they just did it. And they're like, oh, that's cool. Uh, and he he was talking to The Undertaker about finishers. And Taker was like, you've got to protect your finisher as much as you can. And Corbin was like, well, I want a finisher that's not going to get kicked out of. And he doesn't do it all the time, which I didn't realize as well. So when he was a GM of Raw, he said my role there was Knuppence. He was just being a, a, a dick to mm. everyone. And whenever he did fight a match, he lost. So he never hit the end of days because he knew it would devalue the move, which is going back to that thing I said before about not always doing your finishes. And apparently a nice little story with Billy Gunn. He, he sent a video of the move when they practiced it to Billy Gunn and was like, oh, what do you think of the move? And Billy Gunn teased him for about a month, saying, oh, I'm going to steal that. I'm going to use it on the, on the shield. This is like when the shield were up and they were having a bit of rivalry there. And Billy Gunn was like, yeah, I'm going to use it on the shield on the on, on, on TV. And Corbin was like, 
crapping it because he was watching it every week going please don't do it please don't do it and but yeah it's a uh, probably the most protected move apparently it's never been kicked out of right after receiving it uh, again maybe if there's been a delay but apparently no one has kicked out of it and it's been hit on becky lynch who took it very very yeah. well as well i think it was extreme rules the mixed tag match uh last year and yeah she took and again that came from nowhere and it shocked people because they were like oh my god like he's just hit that on on a, on a woman so yeah that is one of the most protective finishes in good quality in research I'm mad. yeah i never thought and it, it never occurred to me that because you don't is he out at the moment corbin no i just don't think they've got much much for him obviously i've not seen him in a long while no i've not i've not either so thank you, thank you to people who contributed to that. Yes, all you lovely, lovely uh, internet people. Appreciate it's it. It's been a delight. Yeah. It really has. It has. You, you hear all these things about social media and being a bad place and that. that times, lovely, lo- lovely little corner of the internet that we found there. And um, yeah. long may it continue. Come and join us. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DammitVincePod or shoot us an email at DammitVincePod at Gmail. Next week, we're going to be doing the countdown to full gear, match predictions and... Have we got a classic match? Not yet. We'll, uh, we'll put that up on, that one. on thinking, but yeah. Um, let us know what your predictions are, who's going to win, who's going to lose. We actually kind of know the card. Unlike last week with Hell in a Cell where we had four matches and we're like, is this it? Um, yeah, yeah, we pretty much it, got the whole card. It, it, I, think, I think it is the full card now, unless they add something in last minute. I hope so. It's pretty big. But yeah. <laughs> it is. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, sorry, this is going to come out a little bit later than normal due to technical issues. But what can you do? We think we figured it out now, so it shouldn't happen again. So we'll go back to normal Saturday morning in the future. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thanks.